Welcome to Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent as we commence a new week of this all-Southern program. A show all about y'all, a show for you and talking about you, and something that we hope all y'all can enjoy as we bring you a full dose of Dixie Talk. We've got news, we've got sports, we've got opinion, we've got cooking, we've got barbecue, we've got politics, we've got reading, books, and more. We've got it all here for, for you here and plenty of sports talk on the Y'all program with you as well. I'm John Rawl, and we're glad you could join us here as we start this new week as we inch our way through the month of September. And coming up on today's show, we'll have the teller of tales from Takapola Way. Jerry Short will be joining us to talk about his experience going through a couple of hurricanes, and I've even experienced going through a hurricane myself, and I'll share that little tidbit in hour two. You don't want to miss it. Jerry's going to talk about the waste that comes from hurricanes, not necessarily from what another nature brings, but what the federal government does after a storm comes through, the complete just disregard for what things cost in some cases. And, and this has only been going on the last five, six years, and he'll tell you his firsthand experience of seeing complete waste and neglect after storms have passed through. That will be in hour two, plus we'll look around our sports world we had college football this past weekend no earthly earth-breaking surprises I, I guess you could say but there were a couple of upsets we could tell you about and we'll also give you an update on Sunday's NFL action and a couple of games that were really fun to watch one even ended in a tie the second weekend in a row in the NFL the first two weeks of the season both had ties something that Oftentimes, you don't see those for like five years, and we've had back-to-back -back weeks of a tie in the NFL. So we'll have info on that and much more here. In hour one of today's program, later on, we're going to tell you about Hurricane Florence when it came ashore in North Carolina. We told you last week about the Waffle House Index and how that is a real measure used to determine these type of storms and their effect on damage and business and such well it turns out cracker barrel is also got an index and an impact on how storms come through especially in the southeast where cracker barrel has such a large impact so we'll tell you about that later in this hour and we'll tell you more of the economic impact of what hurricane florence and other storms of recent times have brought on our region so we'll tell you about that also we've got Hashtag Hullabaloo coming up in the next segment. You don't want to miss all the fun that we bring you when we have that fun look at social media. We start our show off today talking about hurricane slash tropical storm and now tropical depression. Florence, of course, it came ashore North Carolina at the end of last week. And now at least 17 people have died after the hurricane came through and dumped 30 inches of rain in parts of North Carolina and Rivers have swollen, and, and it's just a big, fat mess in the Carolinas, in the areas where the storm came through. And the the amazing thing in the Wilmington, North Carolina area, Wilmington, which has the Cape Fear River coming up from the Atlantic coast, and it's right on the coast, but it's kind of a port city, so it's not exactly right on the beach. But they are cut off for the time being. The city of Wilmington is an island, and that is an amazing thing 
as this flooding has overwhelmed the, what I think I said we last week, Wilmington's the fifth largest city in North Carolina, and it truly is an island right now in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it just amazing, I mean, unbelievable water that's come down. Yes, they've got creeks. Yes, they've got the ocean nearby, but I saw where there's, because of all the, I guess, waste in the river system and, and the water being out of control that you can't even navigate boats into there. It truly is an island. I guess the only way to get there is via helicopter because even the airport in Wilmington, North Carolina is closed because of all the rainfall and such. Now, another day or two goes by and most of this water either goes out to the ocean or evaporates, they'll be back in business. But water all over the place. Power's been cut off to nearly a half a million homes and businesses, and it is a major problem in the state of North Carolina. Now, state of South Carolina also, you had lots of power outages, and you also had flooding throughout the state, and even deaths. A woman in the middle part of South Carolina, in Gilbert, in Lexington County, 30-year-old Rhonda Hartley died early Sunday after driving a pickup truck into standing water near Gilbert, and she lost control and hit a tree. So she's one of the 17 deaths attributed to Florence. A three-month-old baby boy died when a large pine tree fell atop a mobile home and split it in the middle, and that happened in Gaston County, North Carolina. In Elgin, South Carolina, not far from Columbia, a 42-year-old man died Sunday when a pickup truck hit a bridge piling in Kershaw County, who added the weather played a big part in that death. So you've got deaths, not necessarily drowning deaths, but you're seeing the after effects of a storm coming through with tree falling and wrecks and such. And 17 is the death toll, including one of those, a three-month-old dying as a result of Florence passing through the Carolinas. And it's now working its way northward, reaching into Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia. And we're all ready for that to just go away and all the rain. But I will say it did, of course, was downgraded to a category one when it hit the coast. And then it quickly became more of a tropical storm than a tropical, like a major hurricane as expected. I saw a funny gif out there, and, and I shouldn't be sharing this in our news portion. It's more of a hashtag hollabaloo, but you may have seen it too, where it said, like, okay, Florence was kind of like one of those dating sites. It came in as like a five-star, and then when it was all said and done, it was a one-star, a one rating, however the dating sites work. But, yeah, and that's a good thing. Prayers were answered. In fact, let me go ahead and say something that I learned Sunday morning watching a church in the area affected by Hurricane Florence. Uh, they had church service Sunday morning. That's a good thing. And as the preacher said there, they have a lot to be thankful for. Prayers worked in this case. Yes, we've lost 17 Southerners, and that's terrible and tragic. But it could have been and probably should have been a lot worse, as was forecasted. This was going to be a monster storm. And thank, thank the Lord that it was not worse, and, and hopefully in a day or two these floodwaters will be gone and, and we'll truly be able to start the cleanup and get it over with. But as they said in church on Sunday, and I want to echo it here, Jesus is Lord. Now, moving on 
to a story that we told you about back in August when this happened in Jacksonville, Florida. Remember how the guy went into the Madden NFL tournament just outside of Jacksonville and shot a bunch of people and killed them in this gaming tournament? Well, one of the survivors of that was from Texas, Ryan Aylman, age 25. And sadly, yesterday, while back in Texas, driving in Corpus Christi, he was killed in a car accident. Yeah, Ryan Aylman dying just a couple of weeks after he survived the shooting at Jacksonville Landing and now goes back to his home state, lost control of his car in Corpus Christi, and dies at the age of 25. Thoughts with his family here in this difficult time. Another car accident claimed the life over the weekend of Randy Edwards from the cable network, the History Channel's TV show, Swamp People. And Randy Edwards would go out with his brother oftentimes, Willie, and they would hunt for gators and such. Well, he died in Iberville Parish, Louisiana, and that happened on Saturday. Edwards was 35 years old. Louisiana State Police issued a statement saying that a Donaldsonville, Louisiana man identified as Randy Edwards was driving his vehicle on Louisiana State Highway 75 south of Louisiana 3066 when he failed to negotiate a left-hand turn and Edwards' vehicle traveled off the right side of the roadway and struck a utility pole. His vehicle overturned, which ejected Edwards from the vehicles, and troopers are still investigating the crash. But Randy Edwards from Swamp People dying in a car accident over the weekend. More solemn news, as this was not a southern that died in this, but a grizzly attack in Wyoming has killed a guide and a Florida hunter was along for the hunt that killed 37-year-old Mark Uptain outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Corey Trubin of Florida was there, and he suffered leg, chest, and arm injuries on the hunt. He was flown to a Jackson Hole area hospital, and he's still in the hospital as of right now. But they say that the pair were bow hunting. And they shot an elk Thursday, but Uptain could not find the animal until Friday. And they were preparing to pack it out that day when they were charged by two grizzly bears. One of the bears attacked Uptain and Chubon. He says Chubon was able to flee and phone for help. But terrible news from the west. Now to the northeast, just mixing in this gory talk here on a Monday. This has nothing to do with the south, but just... An amazing thing to tell you about since of the, the passage of time has been so great. But for the first time in more than 80 years, a man in Massachusetts was fatally attacked by a shark off of Cape Cod on Saturday. And that happened to Arthur Medici of Revere, Massachusetts. He was 26 years old. He was attacked by a shark boarding 30 yards off the beach when the incident had occurred. Folks there tried to give him CPR to keep him alive, but it did not work. The last fatal shark attack in Massachusetts was back in 1936. But a man dying at the age of 26 after an attack off of Cape Cod this past weekend. A man also last month was injured by a shark attack off of the state of Massachusetts's Cape Cod. Helen Keller, a southern icon, someone that we all knew about, learned about in school. Well, in Texas, they may not be studying up on the Alabama native anymore. As we told you recently, the Texas State Board of Education wanted to kind of revise the way the Alamo was portrayed in Texas history. Well, now 
This same Texas State Board of Education has voted to remove Helen Keller and several other historical figures, including Hillary Clinton, from the required list of education curriculum. Keller, who was a deaf and blind girl from Tuscumbia, Alabama, which, was, which is in northwest Alabama near Florence and Muscle Shoals, she learned to communicate with teacher Annie Sullivan and spelled W-A-T-E-R on her left hand while holding it under a water pump at her home. Keller went on to graduate college, author books, and work as an activist. And her story's been told in books and on stages for a hundred years, really. But in Texas, these third-grade students now may not be learning about Helen Keller, a true Southern hero, because of what she overcame. And the Texas Education Board looking to perhaps take her out, make her irrelevant. And Hillary Clinton, too. I find that a little strange to believe, but one of Alabama's great natives soon could be removed from the curriculum in the state of Texas. East Baton Rouge Parish in Louisiana is getting a $605,000 federal grant to shred old tires that hold standing water and breed mosquitoes that spread disease. Louisiana's health department says it secured the grant from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to give the parish a mosquito control district. The money will buy a tire shredder. The health department says tires are strong breeding sites for mosquitoes that can transmit West Nile and Zika. Yeah, there are lots of tires alongside our southern landscape, and it's, it's a real shame. I don't like litter of any type, but tires are something that do not naturally go away. They just stay. That's why people throw them in ditches. I mean, it's just redneck. It's just white trash. It's black trash, whatever you are. It, to, to take a tire and just discard it in the woods or, or wherever. That's why tire places will take your tire, but they do charge a fee oftentimes when you have tires that are old because they've got to shred them. They've got to do something to essentially recycle them in some way, shape, or form. But a tire, one day, when people come find the South 4,000 years from now, they're going to find tires out in the woods and dirt roads of our region. And they're going to wonder, what in the world is this round thing that we're looking at? Is it a, is it a plastic donut? What is this thing? Well, tires... Our problem, and as we can see, tires laying around the woods, or in Louisiana's case, the bayous, are a breeding ground for mosquitoes, and that causes deadly viruses. So I'm kind of glad they're getting the over $600,000 grant from the government in Louisiana to get rid of all those tires that idiots have been throwing out. Down to South Florida, and a Spanish-speaking Taco Bell worker has been fired in Halea after video shows her refusing to serve some English-speaking customers. Taco Bell told the Miami Herald newspaper Friday that a female employee seen in the video shot at the Hialeah store no longer works for Taco Bell. Alexandria Montgomery posted a Facebook video at the end of last week with a video showing her experience at the restaurant on Wednesday night. It shows Montgomery repeatedly trying to order as the drive through worker insists in Spanish that she doesn't understand English and asks Montgomery to move her vehicle for other customers. Montgomery asks why she can't just 
list the items as written on the menu, the worker responded, no comprendo. Census data shows that Hialeah is about 89% Spanish first language. And Hialeah is just northwest of Miami and South Florida. No comprendo, y'all. In Tennessee over the weekend, the remains of a pilot from World War II were laid to rest at a family cemetery. This was held in Nashville for Navy Reserve Ensign Harold P. DeMoss. DeMoss was 21 years old when his airplane crashed during training in July 1945 in a remote area on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. DeMoss was buried next to the graves of his mother and father. The Defense POW MIA accounting agency says DeMoss's remains were accounted for in May and identified through material and circumstantial evidence after excavating the crash site in 2016. So a Tennessean back home in native soil after dying in July of 1945 while training for combat in World War II. Thank you, Navy Reservants and Harold P. DeMoss for your sacrifice. You know, a lot of people die in wars, but oftentimes, like the Moss, they actually die training to be in combat. And we've seen that happen in every war. Even today's wars, we see accidents happen. And even in, not in a conflict, we have accidents happen with our military all the time. And it's just part of part of being out there with this machinery and, and training and such. You're, you're going to have you're going to have casualties. And luckily, that's one person there that after all these years, is back in his native Tennessee. Now, finally, on the show today, we tell you about a story coming from the Commonwealth of Kentucky that is very, very disturbing. So I, I'm not going to give you the whole story because, frankly, I, I think it's disgusting. But it is about a woman named Amanda Peters, age 26. And according to the sheriff's office in Livingston, Kentucky, this woman intentionally defecated on an officer that came to arrest her. Peters was arrested Saturday at her home, and while she was being arrested, she ran into the bathroom and locked herself in there. A responding deputy forced himself into the bathroom and arrested her with force, and according to police, Peters at that time, I don't know if I can say it or not, she intentionally released her bowels in an upward motion. I think your mind can go through the rest of this. She was charged with resisting arrest, third-degree assault of an officer, identity theft of another without consent, giving an officer false identifying information, and theft by unlawful taking or disposition of $10,000 or more. Livingston, Kentucky is about an hour's drive southeast of Lexington, Kentucky. But Miss Peters doing bad things there in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And golly, with all the charges she had, plus she had to go and do this stunt in the bathroom we can uh, lock her up throw the key away for quite some time and that's what's going on across the southland today when we come back we're going to switch over to hashtag hello blue we got some fun stuff to pass along your way you don't want to miss it that's ahead next on the y'all show ah the sounds of summer and this is the sound of summer skin being scratched because of the itching and irritation of what the season can bring. You need the fast relief of Cortisone 10 Intensive Healing Anti-Itch Cream. Unlike regular lotions, Cortisone 10 relieves itch and irritation with 1% hydrocortisone, the strongest non-prescription itch medicine, plus seven healing moisturizers. 
Cortisone 10 makes summer sound fun again. Cortisone 10. Feel the heal. Use as directed. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I should have done this years ago. Disclaimer, traveling back in time is physically impossible unless you know how to build a functioning time machine. Then by all means, travel 25 years back in time, switch your car insurance to GEICO. You could save a bunch of money. While you're there, please prevent your younger self from wearing that sleeveless tuxedo t-shirt, parachute pants, and glitter high tops to your senior prom. And at long last, rectify this horrible crime against nature. GEICO is absolved of all liability if you destroy the fabric of time and space. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. That is a pretty good breakfast. You're not even eating. Not ever. Why not? What's up? Kath and I knew that Jenny had been partying a bit. Found out she tried heroin. Most people don't know what to say about drugs, but we do. Visit us at drugfree.org. A message from the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, where families find answers. Back into Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Your host, John Rawl, thanking you for being with us. Our number is 803-816-1170. No matter where you are in the South, no matter what time of day it is, you can call that number, leave us a message. You can text us, 803-816-1170. Text anytime, 24-7. We will gladly take your comments, suggestion, feedback, criticism. We'll take it no matter what. We're big boys and girls here at the Y'all Show. We just appreciate your listening. And hopefully we're giving you two hours of great information about the South and telling you about fun stuff and informative stuff that you just can't get anywhere else here on the Y'all Show. Each week and several times each week, we have what we call hashtag hullabaloo. The old HH, hashtag hullabaloo. And we're going to hullabaloo this right to you right now here on the program as we start this Monday show off on the right foot. And we dig into our social media mailbag, and we have a tweet from Foodable, at Foodable, F-O-O-D-A-B-L-E. Is it Foodable or is it Foodable? I don't know the correct pronunciation, but we're going to tell you about what Foodable had to say on Twitter right now after we give you a glimpse of what at Foodable is all about. Foodable is a restaurant and hospitality network focused on original editorial and video for pros. Okay, well, there you go. If you're into food and restaurant and hospitality, then that might be a a great Twitter account and possibly other available video out there for you, courtesy of Foodable or Foodable. I need to find out how to pronounce it. But they sent a tweet out that we're going to get to now on the program. Chef Lindsay Autry breaks the mold of traditional fall recipes by blending southern and Mediterranean cuisines. Check out this Smart Kitchen Bar episode to learn how. And I see the picture that 
this website and this Twitter account has tweeted. And it looks amazing. Now, that is quite a combination of southern and Mediterranean. And when they say Mediterranean, I'm not sure if they're talking about Greek or perhaps some of the other areas of the Med. Uh, you've got Italian influence with the Mediterranean. You've got North African influence as well, perhaps over toward Lebanon and Israel. Some some of that could be pouring in. But let's just say it was Greek, okay? And I think most people would agree the Greeks are very good cooks. I don't know any restaurant that a Greek has had some influence, even if it's like their third and fourth generation, their descendants that came over from Greece. If it's a Greek restaurant, it's usually incredible. Now, we have areas where Greeks have settled in the South that have pretty big, a pretty big presence. I know Birmingham has a large Greek community. I think... I don't know if Memphis does. I think New Orleans has had a Greek presence of a pretty large size. And perhaps Atlanta. I think Atlanta's got a pretty big one. But I know Birmingham is very big. In fact, I've been through Birmingham, and you've seen a portion of a neighborhood there that looks like you're in Athens. Not Athens, Georgia, or even Athens, Alabama, but Athens, Greece. So... The Greeks did, did like most of our the American story, they, they found their way even to the south and have done a great job of being in various industries, but in the restaurant business in the south, they've done a fantastic job. And if this recipe here that we're seeing on the Twitter account for Foodable is truly a great blend from Lindsay Autry of southern and, let's say, Greek, I can't wait to sink my teeth into that. That you know, Southern's great, Greek's great, and then you combine the two, you got double great. And that sounds very good. I wish I knew a Greek word to say right now. I know there's that ESPN commercial where they have the star of the Milwaukee Bucks who is actually from African origin, but his parents moved to Greece, and he's a big basketball star in Greece now because he's a big star for the Bucks in the NBA and I should know his name his name literally stretches across the entire back of his jersey because it's such a long name but on the ESPN commercial they come up to him and they break plates in front of him kind of like I guess that may be a tradition in Greece whenever something's good or bad I really don't understand it but that's the funny thing about the commercial. He's sitting there at the desk acting like he's working on the computer. And he goes, you know, they don't really do that in Greece or something like that. I'm sure if you are a sports fan, you've seen that on ESPN and a little promo they've got. But I, I, I do give them credit for a creative commercial. But looking forward to blending those two right there. Porter Versvelt Third is on Twitter. And Porter is a writer, a journalist, a TV and film producer, director, and a Christian and a transplant survivor. He's got a passage here, James 1, verse 19. And he put, this is all related to Hurricane Florence last week, whenever people were leaving the Carolinas to get away from the storm. And he wrote, this is Southern Hospitality, thanks Braves. Well, I had to check into it and find out what he was talking about. But the Atlanta Braves, just like the Tennessee Vols, I think the Florida Gators did this. 
maybe some other teams. I'm sure Vanderbilt let people in from the Carolinas and more for the Virginia versus Ohio football game that was held Saturday. But the Atlanta Braves let folks in over the weekend free of charge if you evacuated to Atlanta because of Florence. The game's Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday at SunTrust Park, all free of charge if you were a Florence evacuee. So, Porter, you're right. The Braves showing that southern hospitality, and they're not the only ones. They're just a major league team that did this, but I know of college teams doing it. And I don't think the NFLers <laughs> let people in free. I know Atlanta hosted the Carolina Panthers on Sunday in Atlanta, and I don't think they let them in free. That was also the home opener for the Falcons, so that would have been a well-attended game regardless. Probably no tickets available. But Jacksonville, give them credit. The Jaguars, I'm, I'm not sure if they let evacuees into their stadium, but they had a big game Sunday afternoon against the New England Patriots in Jacksonville. And the stadium was full, which is amazing because Jacksonville oftentimes has blocked off the upper decks of the stadium there because they just didn't have enough fan support. This is a franchise, the Jaguars, that has been on the swing of whether or not they're going to even stay in Jacksonville. They've got an owner who some have said may move the team, perhaps even to London, England. But the Jags, Sunday with a big win over the Pats, and a big attendance there in Duval County. Don't know if they let people in the gate free of charge if they were evacuating Florence or not, but they should have. They should have because, look, even if you get in the gate free of charge, as I can be an example of this, I got into a baseball game, minor league, but I got into a baseball game back in July free of charge with my son, and yeah, that was great that I got in free, but I still spent probably 25 bucks in the ballpark on food. They had a putt-putt golf course there at the ballpark that we both played. That was 12 bucks right there. And might have even bought a souvenir. I think we did at the gift shop. So these people know what they're doing when they let you in free. They're, pardon the baseball pun, there's a catch. Okay, that's pretty creative, huh? Keeping the food back on our minds here let's go to the twitter account at cooking louisiana that's c-o-o-k-i-n no g on the end cooking louisiana twitter account and it's for louisiana cooking louisiana cooking c-o-o-k-i-n apostrophe is the premier national publication catering to the connoisseur of louisiana's unique culture cuisine and travel destinations and this twitter account put out a tweet saying southern staple Hashtag Louisiana style. And i got to encourage you to go check this out. It is a recipe on LouisianaCooking.com for rice grits with braised chicken and crushed herbs. Rice grits with braised chicken and crushed herbs. Braised chicken. Okay, now keep that word in mind because... Let me read the next tweet that we've got here on hashtag hullabaloo, keeping the Louisiana folks in mind. This is from at Cajun2Go318. Cajun, the number two, go, G-E-A-U-X, 318. Unique Cajun Creole catering, siest bon. 
I don't know what that means, but hang on, I'll tell you. And Cajun to go tweeted, Cajun brined fried chicken. And has a great, beautiful picture of this Cajun brined fried chicken that they put out. Okay. Now, here on the Y'all Show, we are an ambassador of great food and great terminology. And I'm a fairly smart guy, but I can learn, just like we all can, new words every day if I wanted to. And to be honest, I don't know what brined chicken is, and I don't know what braised chicken is. But you're welcome. I've got the answer. So if you know these, forgive me for being an idiot. And if you don't know, let me educate you here on the Y'all Show. All right, here's the difference between brined chicken and braised chicken. Brined chicken is soaked in or saturated with salty water. Brine, soak or soak in or saturate with salty water. Okay, and remember, we told you in the earlier recipe that this Cajun brine fried chicken from Cajun to go is brine fried chicken, saturated in salty water. Okay, brine salty water. Got that. Now, what is braised chicken? Braised chicken is when you fry it lightly and then stew it slowly in a closed container. So you fry lightly and then stew it slowly in a closed container. I don't know how you do that, but I'm sure you Cajun cooks out there know what the heck you're talking about. And remember, they had braised chicken when they had the rice grits with braised chicken and crushed herbs on louisianacooking.com. So there you have two unique ways of having chicken. Not your just boring chicken that most of us have, whether we just warm it up in an oven or whatever. You can get in there and brine your chicken or you can braise it. And if you do that, you'll feel like a true, real true purple and gold Louisianan. By the way, go Tigers. Great win over Auburn this past weekend. But brine and braise chicken. And one more thing. Cajun to go put in their statement on Twitter, their profile statement. C.S. Bion. Okay, I'm a German speaker. I don't know French that well. I looked it up. Sieste bon means it's good. We're teaching you about terminology of brine and braised and a little French. Maybe that's French Cajun. I don't know. Or is it Cajun French? Regardless, we're glad that we have all this juicy stuff to pass along, whether it's truly delicious recipes or words that we are learning here on the show. We're just... We really need to get federal funding for the Y'all Show. We really are an ambassador of greatness here on the program. When we come back, we will move over to some business news related to Hurricane Florence. And it has to do with Cracker Barrel, of all places. Hang on, we've got that next here on the Y'all Show, C.S. Bond. Credit products are issued by WebBank. Rates and terms vary based on credit history. Offer lasts for 90 days from air date. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Gift card offer valid only for new customers applying for a personal loan. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. Medical bills, credit card bills, auto loan bills. Oh, no. Are you stressed trying to get your bills paid each month? Wouldn't it be a huge relief to make just one simple payment? 
Get that relief today with a debt consolidation loan through Avant. Avant is an online leading platform that has rescued hundreds of thousands of Americans struggling with the stress of high interest debt. That could save you money, simplify your life, and erase all that stress. The application is quick, and you could have the money you need as soon as the next business day if approved by 4.30 Central Time, Monday through Friday. And now, get a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first payment is made on time. To check your rates and to get this special radio offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 1818 when applying. That's A-V-A-N-T.com, promo code 1818. You know, as an allergy sufferer, you're wired differently. I sure feel that way. That's why there's Nasacort. It's different, too. You see, unlike antihistamines, Nasacort targets and inhibits more of the allergic inflammation that causes your congestion and other nasal allergy symptoms. My antihistamine doesn't do that? None of them do. Oh, that is different. And it's why Nasacort's more effective at giving you 24-hour relief. So even if I'm wired differently... Nasacort stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I'm as happy as a clam. Disclaimer, GEICO cannot guarantee you will be, quote, as happy as a clam, unquote. The GEICO legal team cannot accurately verify clams even experience the complex human emotional state known as happiness. As an invertebrate mollusk living half submerged on the ocean floor with no arms, legs, or wireless access, what's there to be happy about? A clam's all like, oh, I'm so happy I didn't get turned into New England clam chowder today. Pronounced regionally as chowder, chowder. Oh, that's so fun to say. What were we talking about again? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. We are back here on the Y'all Show with your host, John Rawl. And here on the program that's all about the South, we give you a dose of news, opinion. We've got sports. We've got food talk. We've got fun. We've got business talk, which we're about to get to here in just a second. And we also have political talk. And on Tuesdays, y'all, tune in. We're going to have the very first guest that we ever had on the Y'all Show going back to June Howie Morgan, he was on one of our sister programs this week in Mississippi, and we're going to play that conversation Howie had with A.C. Roberts talking Southern politics. Plus, last week it was a busy time for Howie. Howie on Friday was on MSNBC's show Morning Joe, which broadcast from the Magnolia State. Howie was on a panel with Joe Scarborough, and we're going to have a little portion of that on Tuesdays, y'all. And how he talked about the Trump effect in Mississippi and the South, and what's going on. How are Southerners who voted for the president feeling right now? And we'll have that on Tuesdays, y'all. You don't want to miss it. Our friend Howie Morgan, Harold Morgan, coming by to talk to us on the Tuesday, y'all. But actually, it's a recorded deal we got from our sister show, Hotty Toddy Hotline. So we'll have that tomorrow. Don't miss it. Lots of good political stuff coming from Mr. Morgan. Now we move over to what we call the Y'all Street Business Report, where we look at 
business goings on in the south and of course with Hurricane Florence barreling into North Carolina's coast last week and then moving on as a tropical storm into South Carolina and a tropical depression throughout many southern states right now still going on. We, we told you last week on the program about the Waffle House Index. This was actually something I found on NewYorkTimes.com, a story they had about how the Waffle House Index is truly a measure used to determine how severe an uh, area is hit by hurricanes because Waffle House, to their credit, they have video cameras at every one of their stores, and they are very on top of what's going on at each of their franchises. And they know if a store is closed, what's going on, how the kind of damage it might be going on and such. Very squared away operation out of Atlanta, Georgia with Waffle House. Now, Cracker Barrel has a huge presence in the southeast as well. And Cracker Barrel also has kind of a military precision type operation going on when you've got things like hurricanes moving into an area. Last week, the Nashville-based company closed 15 stores in both North and South Carolina well ahead of the storm, and they spent a large part of the week helping their employees evacuate those affected areas. And as Florence slowed down, it helped the employees kind of figure out ways to get in there and get back on their feet and such. At their Middle Tennessee headquarters, Cracker Barrel has what they call a war room, and they truly do sit around and figure out how best to, to make things happen. The company sent out an email of an emergency response plan, and they identified the 10 restaurants and roughly 1,000 employees directly in the path of Hurricane Florence. Cracker Barrel operates 655 of its old country stores and restaurants across the U.S., and they have about 20 executives they bring in on this war room of making decisions for the company. Cracker Barrel established in 1969, and this is a restaurant chain known for its southern casual dining and American comfort food with offerings such as chicken and biscuits, meatloaf, chicken fried steak. Frankly, in a large part of the country, without Cracker Barrel, ain't no way you're going to get the kind of cooking that I won't say mama made, but grandmama made one time if you're a southerner. And it's a great place. They've done a heck of a job. Based on the old country store at Casey Jones Village in Jackson, Tennessee. Did you know that? Yeah, I recently found that out myself. And that's where the concept came from. And they had a very unique agreement with the Shaw family there in Jackson, Tennessee, whenever Cracker Barrel started in Middle Tennessee they didn't go into Jackson, Tennessee for a couple of decades. That was kind of a gentleman's agreement I think they had. But, yeah, Cracker Barrel back in 69 is when that got started. I remember having my first Cracker Barrel experience around 1980, 81, and it was in the Gatlinburg area. Because when it first started, you only found it not far from East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and always right by an interstate. That was something they were very smart in doing when they first got started. And I'm sure many of you have gone on vacations and gone on business trips where you go to Cracker Barrel and you wait in line, if you have to, to get a seat, and you play checkers, and they have good tea, and I mean, just having the breakfast items that they have available for you there, truly a, a unique place. We need to get Cracker Barrel on our show sometime. 
And then they started getting into music too, which was kind of neat. We've told you before about some of the CDs they put out exclusively in Cracker Barrel. But last week, Cracker Barrel getting their executives together, closing those restaurants, and deciding what they needed to do to get past the storm. Now, Waffle House CEO Walt Emmer, he was monitoring the storm last week from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and he went on TV and told CNNBC that his company had teams on the grounds up and down the Carolina coast. He said that they try to stay open as long as they can because we try to serve the communities and first responders, but we certainly get them out of harm's way before anything bad happens. The restaurant, which is normally open 24 hours a day, every single day of the year, and actually Waffle House does something kind of neat. On holidays like Christmas, people like Walt Emmer, the CEO and other key executives, actually go in and work at Waffle Houses in the southeast. Not a bad CEO there. And this restaurant closed about a dozen restaurants when Florence was about to hit North Carolina. So they were looking out for their employees too. But Cracker Barrel, Waffle House, getting their employees out of harm's way, but also helping out first responders and trying to determine the best way to get their brands back up and going. Another Carolinas-based chain, Bojangles, you might have seen Bojangles, throughout Georgia, the Carolinas. They've moved into Alabama and in Tennessee as well. About 83% of its restaurants are in states directly in the path of Hurricane Florence, and 31% of Bojangles' locations would be in danger because of Hurricane Florence. That was something that Bojangles had to go through last week as well. Love their biscuits at Bojangles. But okay, so that is a little glimpse of how the Storm coming through the last couple of days impacted some of our chains, Waffle House and Cracker Barrel and Bojangles and more. That's kind of an interesting way business-wise to say. And again, luckily, we, we are learning that the storm was not quite as bad as it could have been, but we still have had at least 17 deaths because of Florence. We want to keep our thoughts and prayers with all the people in the Carolinas affected by this. And let's hope those employees at Cracker Barrel, Waffle House, Bojangles, and more all can get back on their feet soon, get back to work. And for the people in those areas who need good food and good hot food, these restaurants like these three can serve them up some good southern food. And that's what all three offer. Waffle House, Cracker Barrel, Bojangles, and others. Plus the other mom and pops in that area too, hopefully can be on their feet if not already serving up good food because these people in those areas have been hurt and uh, I know they look for more than just an MRE from perhaps the National Guard going around there. They're wanting that good food to get them through the day and we hope they can get it. Well that will conclude hour one of today's Y'all Show. In hour two we're going to start it off with some looking around college football from this past weekend. We've got to look at the latest AP poll. Who is a top by far and who has any chance of knocking off the behemoth in Tuscaloosa. We'll tell you about college football, NFL, and more. And then we'll move over later in the hour and talk to Jerry Short of Takapola fame, and we'll get his take on hurricanes of yesteryear. That's all ahead in hour two of the Y'all Show with your host, John Ross.
Ah, the sounds of summer. And this is the sound of summer skin being scratched because of the itching and irritation of what the season can bring. You need the fast relief of Cortisone 10 Intensive Healing Anti-Itch Cream. Unlike regular lotions, Cortisone 10 relieves itch and irritation with 1% hydrocortisone, the strongest non-prescription itch medicine, plus seven healing moisturizers. Cortisone 10 makes summer sound fun again. Cortisone 10. Feel the heal. Use as directed. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I should have done this years ago. Disclaimer, traveling back in time is physically impossible unless you know how to build a functioning time machine. Then by all means, travel 25 years back in time, switch your car insurance to GEICO. You could save a bunch of money. While you're there, please prevent your younger self from wearing that sleeveless tuxedo t-shirt, parachute pants, and glitter high tops to your senior prom. And at long last, rectify this horrible crime against nature. GEICO is absolved of all liability if you destroy the fabric of time and space. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. That is a pretty good breakfast. You're not even eating. Not ever. Why not? What's up? Kath and I knew that Jenny had been partying a bit. Found out she tried heroin. Most people don't know what to say about drugs, but we do. Visit us at drugfree.org. A message from the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, where families find answers. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. This is the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent with your gracious host, John Rawl. Back with you here for Hour 2 on a Monday, getting you through the start of a whole new week. Hopefully you all are getting through the day okay. I know it may have been rough on a lot of you getting back into the grind, but that's what you got to do. You got to pay those bills here, and we are glad that you could find a little time to listen to our little program about the South. And we keep our portion of the South in mind with Hurricane Florence slash Tropical Storm Florence and Tropical Depression or whatever it may end up becoming, if not already there, in the eastern seaboard of our region. And we will have some hurricane talk with Jerry Short later this hour as Jerry's going to come by and share some memories of some hurricanes he's worked back in the 60s as well as in 2017 when Hurricane Irma passed through Florida and Georgia and went up through the Carolinas, caused damage. Jerry was actually on the recovery for that, and we'll get his take on that. And I bet you it's a take that you're not going to hear from anyone else on the radio dial. Jerry Short, the teller of tales from Takapolo Way, our special guest later this hour here on the program. And we are going to start this hour off talking a little college sports and more as we have a weekend recap of sports activity from the weekend and first things first, how about the Alabama Crimson Tide absolutely mauling the Mississippi Land Sharks 62-7. Mississippi scored a touchdown in the first play of the game, and then they didn't find any points the rest of the way. I don't think they crossed the opponent 20-yard line the rest of the night. And Alabama put in second stringers before halftime, and third stringers were in most of the second half. And Nick Saban's got a dynasty going on once again 
this year as his team cruises in the latest AP rankings. Alabama got 58 of 61 number one votes in the AP poll. They looked very, very impressive in their win, and they're 3-0 and just like they should be at this point in the season. They've got Texas A&M coming into Bryant-Denny Stadium for a game this weekend. Number two in the AP Top 25 is the Georgia Bulldogs. They had a rather easy win over MTSU, but they sit at number two. Clemson had some struggles, and their quarterback, Kelly Bryant, had a little injury that he had to leave the game, and Trevor Lawrence came in and played most of the game for the Tigers. But Clemson had the other three number one votes in the rankings this week for number one, but they are number three in the latest AP poll. Ohio State, the Yankees from Columbus, look real good going all the way to Arlington and getting a win over the neighbor from TCU. So Ohio State looks good. Now Urban Meyer set to come back aboard and lead this team. But perhaps the biggest shocker of the weekend was LSU going to the Plains and getting a big win over Auburn. And as a result of that win, Ed Orgeron's team jumped up six spots in the AP poll. They sit at number six right now. So LSU looking real, real good. Stanford is at number seven in the poll. They moved up two this week. Now, Auburn, because they lost to LSU, they've dropped two spots, but they still sit in the top ten. They're at number nine. Other SEC, ACC, Big 12 teams of note in the latest AP rankings, the West Virginia Mountaineers climbed two. They're number 12 in the country right now. Virginia Tech remains at 13. Mississippi State moved up two. The Dogs come in at number 14. Oklahoma State had a huge rise in the polls. They kind of surprised me with their home win over Boise State. The Pokes moved up to number 15 in the latest AP poll. The Knights from UCF still continue to impress. They are at number 16. The Wisconsin Badgers lost at home to BYU over the weekend, and the Badgers fell all the way down to number 18 in this week's poll. And then other teams of note from the South we should tell you about that are in the top 25. The Miami Hurricanes are at 21. And those Aggies from College Station who go to Bryant-Denny this weekend, they remain in the top 25 at number 22. But overall this past weekend, we've got to give some love to Troy State. The Trojans went all the way to Nebraska and gave Nebraska another loss. The Cornhuskers have still to win a game in Scott Frost's first year in Lincoln. But Troy, good job by you Trojans. And and second year in a row, Coach Callahan has knocked off a Power 5 program. He did it to Nebraska this year, and it wasn't that long ago in 2017 when he went to Death Valley and knocked off the LSU Tigers last year. LSU fell to Troy last year, and now Troy pulls a little Troy magic in Lincoln, Nebraska, and gets a big win over Nebraska. I'm actually surprised Callahan, who played at Kentucky back in the 90s, and he was there as a quarterback, I think, how he's still there because he's had a pretty decent program. I, I don't know if they've won a Sunbelt Conference championship, but they have been a program that's been a giant killer and gone to several bowl games. But still, they just just are, you know, they're in the conference now. It's got a lot more teams playing. And I'm going to play some Sunbelt sound bites before we get out of here this segment, something you don't want to miss, from Troy's Yellowhammer State rival, South Alabama. So tease. It's coming up in just a few seconds here on the program, Some something from another Sunbelt program here on the Y'all Show. But how about the, let's see here, i got to give some praise to Vanderbilt. They lost, but they look pretty good in their game at Notre Dame. They've got the Gamecocks coming into Vanderbilt Stadium. Kudos to Vanderbilt for letting the Virginia Cavaliers use their stadium last weekend as Virginia left Charlottesville for a home game because of the impending hurricane 
and they went to Vanderbilt at, in Nashville, Tennessee and played the Ohio Bobcats, and UVA won that game. They looked mighty impressive. And the other team that I want to signal out, speaking of teams for, not from the Sun Belt, but former Sun Belt Conference member, North Texas. My goodness, they absolutely embarrassed the Arkansas Razorbacks over the weekend in Fayetteville. They went there and came away with a convincing win over the Hogs as North Texas won 44-17. to In fact, Arkansas really only had 10. They scored a garbage touchdown in the closing seconds. But the Eagles slash Mean Green of Denton, Texas, embarrassing the mighty SEC's Arkansas Razorbacks with a huge win over the weekend. So good job, North Texas. And that was a little bit of what's going on college football-wise. We'll have a lot more college football information on the Tuesday, y'all. We'll have our sports land yet. And we'll move over into Wednesday, focusing on the ACC. Thursday, we'll have a full preview of SEC events going on on the Y'all Show. Some of Sunday's NFL action, the Atlanta Falcons were able to hold on as the Panthers couldn't get a touchdown in the closing seconds to knock the game up. And Atlanta QB Matt Ryan, he had four touchdowns in this game as Atlanta cruised to a seven-point victory, 31-24. Both of those teams now one and one on the season. The Los Angeles Chargers went all the way to Buffalo and won 31-20, and that game is of interest because a player for the Bills, a 10-year veteran, quit the team, quit NFL football at halftime. And that's a story going throughout sports today. He had no real connection to the South, so I'm not even going to give him any love, but what a strange scene of events there for the Buffalo Bills as they not only lose, but they lose a player during the game because he Said the game had passed him by, essentially. Crazy game in Green Bay is the Vikings and Packers. Their kicker for the Vikings missed three field goals, including two in overtime, I think. His team ends up tying Green Bay in the second week in a row. It's only two weeks into the NFL season. We've had ties in the first two weeks of the NFL this year. Crazy stuff. The Tennessee Titans were able to hold on as Deshaun Deshaun Watson, the quarterback for the Houston Texans, had a brain flatulation on the last play and could have maybe ran out of bounds or done something to stop the clock. In the end, the Titans hold on and get their first win of the season at Nissan Stadium in Music City, winning 20-17 over Houston. The Saints were able to hang on versus the Browns in a crazy game that featured a missed extra point for the Cleveland Browns that could have led them to a victory. But in the end, New Orleans gets the three-point win over the hapless Cleveland Browns. Dolphins moved to 2-0 after beating the New York Jets, their rival, in the Meadowlands. The Kansas City Chiefs were impressive. They won over Pittsburgh 42-37. Congrats to the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're 2-0 after defeating the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles 27-21. Colts knocking off the Redskins. Los Angeles Rams were impressive. 34-zip over the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. The 49ers were able to hold on versus the Lions, 30-27. Denver escaped versus Oakland, 20-19. And the Jacksonville Jaguars defeated the New England Patriots for the first time in the regular season ever in franchise history, winning 31-20 as Blake Bortles had a phenomenal game for the guys in Duval County. And that's a look at some of the scores from Sunday. The game tonight in the NFL features the Seahawks at Chicago as the teams are both 0-1 entering this contest at Soldier Field. Speaking of the Windy City, South Carolina-born and Savannah-raised broadcaster and former Major League player and longtime Major League fixture, Ken Harrelson called his final game Sunday for the Chicago White Sox. He had been the TV broadcast announcer 
for the Chicago White Sox for decades, and you probably know him from television with his plays like his calls like He Gone and other key Ken Harrelson traits. This is a guy who actually debuted as a player in the Major League Baseball in 1963 for the Kansas City Athletics and played in the majors for about eight years. His final season was with the Indians in 1971. He was born in Woodruff, South Carolina, but ended up going to high school at Benedictine Military School in Savannah, Georgia. And as we said, he played in baseball, then he got involved in television and became a play-by-play announcer for a long time with the Chicago White Sox. And he retired at the age of 77 yesterday. It was his final call for the Shy Sox. And we wish this Southerner well, and we'll miss his voice. He was nicknamed the Hulk. And, and you know, on WGN for a long time, they carried him and the Sox and the Cubs. But if you like the Sox, you'll know his name and know his voice. And if you know anything about baseball, Ken Harrelson, who is retired now after many, many decades in baseball as a player. And then he was an all-star first baseman, actually, in major leagues. He was a very good player. And then he ended up being in the TV broadcast booth for the Shy Sox. Congratulations on your retirement, Mr. Harrelson. And finally, I don't think Ken Harrelson is going to have to worry about this person taking over for his job in Chicago too soon. But we've got we've to give Lauren Velez props here. She is a ESPN Plus sideline reporter. And she appears on the South Alabama Jaguars broadcast. And J.D. Byers is the play-by-play voice for South Alabama and a Facebook friend of mine. And I've known J.D. for a couple of decades, I guess, now. And so I tuned in over the weekend to see South, South Alabama's game at home against Texas State. And J.D. threw it down to the field for a report from Lauren. And I just got the biggest kick out of this. And I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm playing this right now on the show because I think it's just how cool is our region and how cool is it that the University of South Alabama would have Lauren Velez down on the field with this great analysis of what's going on pregame. J.D., tonight Steve Campbell said his keys to success are simple. They want to have an explosive night on the offensive side of the ball. They opened two weeks ago with L.A. Tech, 217 rushing yards on the field. That's their goal tonight again. Push the ball on the offense, be successful, and hopefully show up tonight with a win. And you can hear more of Lauren Velez's great reporting throughout the game. But, hey, kudos to South Alabama. The Jags held on and won over Texas State to get their first victory of the year and their first for their new head football coach. When we come back on the Y'all Show, the teller of tales from Takapola, Jerry Short will be stopping by with a report, and he's got hurricanes on his mind. That's up next here on the Y'all Show with your host, John Rawl. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to Geico. I should have done this years ago. Disclaimer, traveling back in time is physically impossible unless you know how to build a functioning time machine. Then by all means, travel 25 years back in time, switch your car insurance to GEICO. You could save a bunch of money. While you're there, please prevent your younger self from wearing that sleeveless tuxedo t-shirt, parachute pants, and glitter high tops to your senior prom. And at long last, rectify this horrible crime against nature. GEICO is absolved of all liability if you destroy the fabric of time and space. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. That is a pretty good breakfast. You're not even eating. Not ever. I know what's up. Kath and I knew that Jenny had been partying a bit. Found out she tried heroin. Most people don't know what to say about drugs, but we do. Visit us at drugfree.org. A message from the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, where families find answers. 
This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent and a great story song there. And now we have a great storyteller, Jerry Short, the teller of tall tales, joining us here on the Y'all Show on a Monday. And Jerry, you know, on here on the Y'all Show with John Raw, we need a song kind of like David Crockett. We need our own teller of tales from Takapola, Jerry Short. That's who he is. How about that? He killed a bear when he was only three or something like that. Did you kill a bear when you were three? That may have been a hog. Okay. we needed we needed some cracklings, man. Ah, okay. <laughs> and some chitlins. <laughs> so that was probably that was probably what we killed. Mm. Well, Jerry, how was Takapola over the last couple of days with the Hurricane Florence moving into a portion of the south? Y'all getting your rain out your way? Uh, you know, I think all the rain came out of the Alabama uh, land shark game. Ah, okay. Like may have flushed out that <laughs> from the football game, from what I've heard. Okay. Mm. So um, all well there on the on the on the old for, lower forty. Oh yeah, it's just you know with all this hurricane talking, I mean that's all you can hear on the radio or TV or anywhere. So uh, I got to thinking. I've been in uh, four or five hurricanes, and uh, I got to thinking about uh, then and now, so to speak, mm-hmm. and how how it used to be where we kind of took care of ourselves. Really? And uh, yeah, you know I'll kind of lead off. Um, um, you know, after after uh, after Katrina, they had a deal up at Ole Miss that uh, I covered for a newspaper. It was called Mississippi Rising, and uh, it was like a charitable deal. He donated and all, and they had a lot of a lot of celebrities. They had about forty celebrities up there. But before the thing, I got we had an interview session in the in the coaches' offices and and. Uh, uh, Trent Lott was in there, who was senator from Mississippi, mm-hmm. who had been majority leader. And he, he, when he first come in, he says, you know, is this going to be print or is this, uh, you know, TV or when, they, you know, everybody said just print. So he took his coat off and relaxed and got comfortable. And all any of the other people threw him was just softballs, you know. And I was shooting pictures and, you know, I wasn't there. We had somebody in my paper to question and write the story, but. He was getting so many softballs, I thought I'd just throw it. I raised my hand. He, he said, yeah, you know, what you got? And my daughter had been in a sorority with his daughter, Tyler. But uh, anyway, we uh, I said, let me ask you. I said, you know, all I hear is Louisiana. Is they, they've already promised them, you know, FEMA's promised them and Bush had promised them billions and billions. And I said, I didn't have a word about Mississippi. I know Haley Barber was governor. He had a chainsaw in the National Guard. They had to cut their way into Biloxi, which Biloxi was one hit, and they had a flood in New Orleans. So after said, two days after the storm. Two days after the storm. And I happened to be coming back from up in Tennessee. I was coming back from Waverly, Tennessee, listening to New Orleans radio station the night it hit. And uh, I heard uh, the mayor was on, uh, Mayor Ray Nagy. Mm-hmm. He was on uh, uh, a radio station, w, uh, WLS. No, not WLS. WWL. So. Yeah, you know your radio stuff. I said, what is that, 87? And uh, uh, I think, or 89, or one of them. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I was listening to it, and he said, Oh, he lucked up tonight. This this hurricane has hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It missed us completely. We didn't get a scratch. And he was right. 
Yeah, he was right. He said, we didn't get a scratch. And he said, it won't hurt them over there. They got hills, you know, it'll just water or just run back in the gulf. No big deal, you know. And he actually said that. And uh, so, you know, the next day, obviously, we saw what happened. White Mississippi completely out all the way from Waveland across uh, to Pascagoula. And uh, that's probably 80 miles that he wiped out in Mississippi. Probably took out Trent Lott's home in Pascagoula. It did. He was out on the bluff looking at the gulf where his house was. He got Lott's house. And anyway, I asked him about, uh, you know, all that was going on in Louisiana. I said, I want to make sure then that that Mississippi gets our share if you're going to be giving money to somebody. We never out with our hands out. We're trying to take care of it ourselves. I said, by the way, when did it become the federal government's responsibility to take care of people from birth to death, you know, it's just, you know, it didn't, it just didn't make sense to me. And, and he thought a minute, you know, and then he said, well, I guess it's just kind of evolved that way, you know, that, uh, it's just every time something happens, it's a little more and a little more and a little more. Now he had already lost his seniority, I believe then, or something he had said off cuff. And, uh, I, th- I don't think he was majority leader when that hit. He may have. He was no, given. He was still a senator, but he had given that up about two years earlier. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, uh, but you know, so he, you know, he, he come by me on the way out, and he said, uh, "That's kind of a hardball question." I knew him because I'd eat with him at the sorority house at Ole Miss, and uh, he said, uh, and he was born in Grenada also, and he said, "You know, that's kind of a hardball question you asked me." And I said, "No, it's a truthful question." I said, everybody's got their hand out wanting something from the federal government. And I think we have to take care of ourselves somewhat. Don't, you know, got to be responsible for ourselves. But I, I just, that stuck with me forever, him saying that about, yeah. uh, you know, it evolving that way, which I just, I don't, I don't see it that way, that it evolved that way. But let me just go back and talk to you a little bit uh, about how it was. And, you know, I know I'm in the old school days, but I was working, uh, in Louisiana. Well, let, let, let me let you tell that story, but let me first throw out there before we hear about the old days. We do want to keep our friends in the Carolinas in mind. We do know that we've had people lose their lives, people are suffering. So we definitely want to keep you in mind. I think for the most part, this hurricane was a little bit softer than what some had anticipated, but that doesn't mean there's still not people hurting, people dying, and people needing help. So let's keep the Red Cross in mind and the other ways to help out salvation salvation army and all those areas however and one reason jerry's on is to talk about past storm events and past crises that have happened across the southeast and the waste that happens as a result some of which were on legitimate storms but you've seen firsthand jerry absolute waste evolved through the years so go ahead with the rest of your story in the way in the way we used to go about taking care of our own self you know and helping each other out but we were, I was down there pipelining, and, and it was a group of guys from North Mississippi, and I had a I was one where, had to where were you? We were right around Thibodeau. In Louisiana. And this storm came through Thibodeau at 150 miles per hour, by the way. Which one? And we got the, the Hilda. In what year? In October of 64. Okay. And uh, 38 people were killed down there then, I think. But evacuate, evacuating was really hard. At one highway... US 1, Mississippi, the river road, from Grand Isle all the way north of Baton Rouge, and they had to evacuate 150,000 people, bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper. 
but they already had the guard out you know before it hit the guard was in place to direct traffic and do things like that red cross had already set up ten thousand cots up around opelousas or somewhere you know to evacuate people up that way and it's you know that was a pretty good ways to go in those days the way transportation was because you didn't have you didn't have interstate system hardly and so anyway long story short is that uh time they evacuate these uh people and uh New Orleans was doing the same thing. They had uh, railroad cars that they put 3,500 people on and put them on a train and carried them up to the Mississippi line, almost to Macomb, and uh, to get them out of the danger in New Orleans from hill to hill. And so, you know, people then were just a heck of a lot better at helping each other. And, uh, you know, lose it. Like I said, the lose it. And the Red Cross did that, and they did this. And then the Salvation Army was in there doing a lot of stuff. But it took us. Um, it probably took us eight hours to get up to Baton Rouge, which was about seventy-five miles. Which so, it normally would have taken, or in today's world, about, not a little over an hour. A little know, over hour, fifteen minutes, yeah, something like that. Because you had to go through towns. Then basically, you know, you didn't have bypasses and things and you were and riding along me. let me guess by you were riding along beside bayou lafouche bayou lafouche to your east man i sound <laughs> like a good cajun <laughs> well you want to name the parish is what you're doing it was terrebonne and lafouche and ascension and don't leave out saint john the, the baptist well saint john the baptist is on the river it's kind of divided there that's where uh um um what is that beautiful house it's in so many movies it's over there, just across from Napoleonville. But um, advisory, it's advisory. But anyway, um, we finally got out of there. And you know, when we went back down there, uh, everybody was pitching in and working and helping each other. And they would they they would take off work and take time off. They even shut they would shut down before the storm hit. They shut the grocery stores down and they shut the building supply places down. So when the storm came through, they would have plenty of supplies. You know, they don't think about that now. Everybody runs in and gets what they can and runs out the door now. And then the looters get what's left now, I guess. But uh, that was my first experience, really, with uh, a hurricane. And that was which one? That was that was Hilda. Hilda in 1964. October of 64. Just after you uh, were invading stadiums over walls. Were, uh, I believe that was two years beyond, so I, I, I shouldn't have left. Them other guys wanted to leave, and I wanted to stay. And uh, this guy later become district attorney of the region uh, of South Haven, south of Memphis, and all. One of the guys in there, and he was begging me, just go ahead and hit a car. Get in the line. They won't let you in and hit them. He was, one, he was scared to death looking over his shoulder. It was so black, it was unbelievable as it was coming in. But uh, we got out of there, and... Uh, so watching the people, you know, the sugar cane all got blown over. So hmm. they had to harvest it all. They, had, they even brought workers in from the Dominion Republic and with cane knives. Really? To cut the sugar cane because it was laying on the ground. I mean, everything was just flat as a pancake, but they were savaging sugar cane. And that's the only way they could get it then. They had to get, they didn't have enough workers that was used, could use cane knives. And they brought them all in from the Dominion Republic to get the sugar cane up. But, uh, I remember watching them do that because we had a pipeline and went right through all that stuff, you know. And they had all those Dominion Republic people that didn't even really speak English, and they they were crazy as they could be out there doing that. But then my next one, 
was uh, Hurricane Betsy. They called her Billion Dollar Betsy. And billion dollars then, if you think about it, that don't sound like a heck of a lot now. But it, that, this thing hit in um, September of 65. And when it hit a big, a car, you could buy a brand new car for $5,000, you know, of any type. Uh, you could buy a Rolls Royce for 8000 probably. So, you know, you put all that money in perspective, and that's a heck of a lot of money. So it, it I was actually uh, semi in college in uh, – I was engaged, and so I was talking to uh, my fiance on the phone, and I had a that car I'd bought from Elvis Presley, and so uh, I didn't want to take it, so I hitchhiked into Betsy, and uh, I, you know, I had a little trouble getting down there. In Jackson, the signs were already just about blowing over where Highway 80 and uh, 51 ran together because they didn't have interstates then either. In Jackson, Mississippi, uh huh. Jackson, yeah, and. The, the signs were, you know, they were just whipping unbelievable. Jackson was completely shut down. The rain, you know, the storm had already hit, and the rain had, was just unbelievable, and the wind was, wind was probably 90 miles an hour or more in Jackson. And I know I, I got on down to Macomb, and it was really bad down there because they had had uh, about 20 inches of rain and stuff and a lot of wind too. But I got on down, and uh, a highway patrolman, carried me from uh, Summit, Mississippi, to the Louisiana line, and he got a Louisiana Highway Patrolman, and I told him where I was going and what I was, the reason I was going. He carried me on to New Orleans city limits, and I walked across New Orleans at night after Betsy went through. And, you know, I don't remember walking through water over ankle deep or anything like that to get across the old uh, Huey P. Long Bridge on uh, Carrollton Avenue and uh, to cross to go on to Thibodeau. But uh, as uh, I walked across it that night, and it was nothing, nobody out, nothing going on, just the cops every now and then stopped me and, and asked me what I was doing, where I was going. I'd tell them, and they'd give me a little ride as far as they could, their, their sector was. But got on over to uh, uh, where I was going to, uh, uh, the house that I was going to, and everything was blown away, no electricity, no anything. Every light pole was down from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to uh, – way past Donaldsonville. And uh, so we didn't have electricity for probably two or three months. We had no ice. We had dry ice. Then an ice truck, it would come out of Baton Rouge, and they would try to get you ice. And uh, everybody would hijack them on up the road around Donaldsonville or so-and-so. But if you wanted any ice, you had to, you had to go get ahead early and ambush the ice truck. So when you got ice, that was precious. But uh, everybody worked real hard and, and worked together, and they had to guard out doing stuff. But, you know, I don't ever remember seeing federal government anywhere. I know they didn't put any help back in my uh, in-laws uh, building their place back. They got zero for that. And, you know, they, they didn't get anything. It was it was all on all on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you didn't you didn't have that kind of help, and it blew their roof off of half the house, and it blew one room. A tree fell over on one room and blew it in. And so anyway, it was it was a lot different then. And, and in New Orleans, uh, where Betsy went through, Betsy went in. He came in just around Grand Isle, the so I did, and he went right through New Orleans. I mean, downtown New Orleans almost. But the levees broke there just like they did for Katrina. And people talked about 
that they thought maybe that uh, people of New Orleans had broke the levees on purpose um, to save the French Quarter because the French Quarter's on about five or eight feet higher ground. And the Ninth Ward actually flooded again just like it did for Katrina. They had people that they had to get off of rooftops and uh, people died in attics and all down there then. So, you know, you were going through the same thing. And uh, it had, a, it, I think it had about 140 miles per hour when it went through uh, Thibodeau. And then even over Bay St. Louis is about 100, 110 miles an hour Man. in Mississippi. And so it came on up. But the thing that really, uh, about them too, it flooded all the way to Virginia. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like this one's doing, I guess. This yeah. one now. It, it flooded everywhere. And so you weren't really safe anywhere. So, if you know, and then it wasn't anything like Camille because Camille killed about 150 people in a county in Virginia from floods. Golly. So, you know, thing, yeah, it did. It just kept going that way. But when Camille hit in 69, um, it was a category five, just like, uh, uh, just like, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, other one watches, but when it hit past Christian, it was 180 miles per hour. I've heard as much as 200 because it broke. I think it broke their weather, weather gauges everywhere. And about, about 300 people were killed in that, you know, the water surge was probably about 25 feet or so where I think, um, uh, yeah, that's about the next highest it's ever been. It's hit the Gulf Coast, 25 feet. That was really – it took everything out. I mean, it wiped out everything on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, the highway. It blew ships up on land. Mm. It was two huge ships that were sitting there in uh, in Highway 90 mm. in, uh, from Gulfport Harbor. And, uh, I, mean, how, I mean, I'm talking about a ship that's 100 feet up to the bow. You know, not just a, I'm not talking about a little play ship or anything, but they were major deals that they were beached at Gulfport. So, and Ship Island was also, you know, one of the barrier islands. It was cut in half. Hmm. And uh, so it stayed, and it blew a lighthouse. It was on it. It blew it away then, too. So, you know, uh, and they had a stupid hurricane party for there. It was three or four movies made about Camille, but they had a hurricane party. Uh, at an apartment deal, and they tried to get them to leave, and they wouldn't leave. And I think 24 people were killed there at Past Christian, 25, something like that, from the hurricane party. Only one person survived, and he was floating miles and miles away from that apartment complex mm. when they found him. So, you know, if you want to talk about Katrina, then it starts yep. getting into where the We'll, mo- we'll move into the 21st century with you after this timeout. We're talking with Jerry Short. The teller of tales from Takapola and his recollections of hurricanes. When we come back, we'll talk with him briefly about Katrina of 2005, but also Jerry worked firsthand in 2017 with the cleanup of Hurricane Irma, which hit Florida and parts of Georgia and other southern states. We'll have him talk about his experience there when we come back on the Y'all Show on a Monday. You know, as an allergy sufferer, you're wired differently. I sure feel that way. That's why there's Nasacort. 
it's different too. You see, unlike antihistamines, Nasacort targets and inhibits more of the allergic inflammation that causes your congestion and other nasal allergy symptoms. My antihistamine doesn't do that? None of them do. Oh, that is different. And it's why Nasacort's more effective at giving you 24-hour relief. So even if I'm wired differently... Nasacort stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I'm as happy as a clam. Disclaimer, GEICO cannot guarantee you will be, quote, as happy as a clam, unquote. The GEICO legal team cannot accurately verify clams even experience the complex human emotional state known as happiness. As an invertebrate mollusk living half submerged on the ocean floor with no arms, legs, or wireless access, what's there to be happy about? A clam's all like, oh, I'm so happy I didn't get turned into New England clam chowder today. Pronounced regionally as chowder, chowder. Oh, that's so fun to say. What were we talking about again? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. We're back here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with your host, John Rawl, as we close out a Monday, again, keeping our friends in the Carolinas and the rest of the South in mind as the effects of Hurricane Florence still pouring down in portions of the Southeast and the victims of this storm and, and the hurricane when it first hit shore. We want to keep all those folks in our thoughts and prayers, their families and survivors and those going through hardship right now. Jerry Short's with us, back talking more hurricanes. Jerry, just my, my story's pale in comparison to yours. The only hurricane I really was ever involved with was Hurricane Hugo in 1989, where I evacuated hours before it hit Charleston, South Carolina. And the night it came through South Carolina, guess what I was doing, Jerry? Uh... When it came through Charleston, you was at the uh, Citadel. Yeah, but I had a, left. They had a closed campus and made everybody leave. So I went back you're to playing, my hometown. Two, <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't playing cards. I went back to my home two and a half hours away, and uh, instead of taking a nap or watching the news or whatever, I stayed up all night long while that hurricane was coming through South Carolina, and I was on the radio on WBLRAM fourteen thirty. So that's where I got my radio start. Oh, okay. And and here's kind of a an interesting story for anybody who lived through Hugo. Every radio tower, which everybody was using in those days to communicate, had been blown down in South Carolina, at least where the hurricane came through. And so the only way people could stay in touch with each other was through a radio station that actually violated FCC authority and decided to up their AM power that one night. And a station in Jacksonville, Florida, was broadcasting reports from South Carolina, which was hours away. And that's how people like me could kind of keep up with what was going on because of this radio station in Jacksonville, Florida, doing that. Pretty neat story. That that is, that's unique. And because I know we didn't have any power or any way to get anything. And, you know, we I was called out for the uh, National Guard to go to Camille and we went into it, and when we were, we went through it, you know, rain and everything. And then the next morning, we were on a tarmac and evacuating people from nursing homes in C-141s and stuff, or C-130s and everything. But anyway, um, if you compare Camille and Katrina, um, you know, they both came uh, – they came from different paths, but they hit it exactly the same place almost. Both of them hit right at past Christian – to Gulfport, you know, and both were Category Five, 
a mill was a smaller area on a direct hit, but uh, uh, you know Katrina was wide. It was kind of like this thing that just is hitting the east coast now. It, it was kind of like that. Uh, Katrina was, and it had a it had a bigger storm surge. You get a bigger surge the wider the hurricane is. So, you know, it came in and it was about thirty feet at Biloxi, I think, where where Katrina was. And uh, so it, it was it was up higher than Camille. Camille was about twenty five, but um, Camille's wind was anywhere from one eighty to two hundred, and Katrina was about oh gosh, I think maybe one sixty five or one seventy or something like that. But you know, neither storm. Uh, uh, did any damage in New Orleans, but all you ever hear about is New Orleans. But, you know, Camille was mostly wind, and like I said, Katrina was mostly a surge with wind, obviously. But uh, they they did a lot of stuff to raise money for that uh, privately also. Uh, even Katrina. You know, they did a thing at, at Ole Miss uh, at yep. the University of Mississippi, Mississippi Rising, and all kind of actors and everybody was there, and it was a fundraising thing. And, you know, that's why they said that to Trent a lot about all that stuff. But they had some really good people there that uh, did that thing and chipped in to kind of help. But if I was, you know, talking about, you know, the levees, the levees failed on the, on Katrina in New Orleans. But they failed because they were built with junk. They were built with, they, they put sheet piling in. They put metal planks on them. They, those pilings, they only drove them about halfway in the ground. They was cutting money and, and, and pinching pennies to put on other things like the Superdome. At the time, the Superdome was being built. I remember it come in on $20 million to come in. His budgets for $20 million. It cost them $80 million or something. Yeah, and they said, you know, and then the Louisiana Le- uh, Levy Board, they have a couple of Learjets and stuff like that. So they really weren't worried about that doggone Levy. Over there. They just worried about the government government job government fund i guess that happened but you know the new orleans levy board they didn't maintain their walls either time even back you know when i was talking about betsy a while ago so they just used the money on other part but louisiana response on that thing down there i know everybody remembers uh president bush saying what a great job you're doing brownie yeah just brown you know and uh you know, he was. I mean, it wasn't his responsibility to be in there before the storm. They, you know, they come, they're they not supposed to come to after. You know, they'll bring blue tarps and put on roofs and, and things like that. And the Corps of Engineers will dang contract people. But, you know, he was doing okay. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. But people blamed that uh, uh, governor of Louisiana, um, Kathleen Blanco. And... She, I understand that she tried to get up with George Bush, and he was on a vacation and put it off a day. And she was saying we need help before it, before it really hit. But the main problem was probably that Mayor Mayor Ray uh, Nagin. He did nothing, you know, absolutely nothing. He left them on the rooftops and all that stuff and all. But you know, you know, I can move on beyond that one because we know how much money American dollars went into there. Because they redid the Super Bowl where they had people stored, you know, or mm-hmm. wherever they kept people and it was packed and there was no restrooms. No, they had to completely redo the Superdome. But, and I think they probably spent a hundred and something million redoing it. And 
more than it cost originally. But Jerry, I know you saw you. We've seen a lot of waste there. Now we're running out of time. I know last year in 2017, you went to Florida and helped out with the recovery and relief of Hurricane Irma. Which we yeah. want to remind people, that's a storm that we look back now on and don't think was big of a deal. And I don't think it was that big a deal in a lot of ways. However, yeah. that storm killed nearly 100 Americans. And it is listed as the fifth costliest U.S. Atlantic hurricane coming in at over $53 billion of damage. Well, let me tell you one reason then that it could have cost so much. I worked for, I was a uh, accounting supervisor. Yeah. Auditing the uh, for a company was auto, auto, auditing some FEMA projects, and in one of the counties there, the biggest county in Florida. If anybody knows Florida, they know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'd be Marion County. Yeah, Marion County, <laughs> and it'd be Ocala. Okay. But if uh, if any, uh, the government paid seventy five percent of any debris cleanup. If you removed any debris, they paid seventy five percent. We had. In, in that county alone, uh, me and four other people had 400 people working for us that we had to supervise and make sure they got it done. They had, they all had, they all had to go out with a bucket truck, and they had somebody on the ground. They had to write tickets up on what they were removing and when they removed and the time they removed it. And they had the leaners and hangers. They call them. It had to be three inches. You had to take pictures of that. Everybody had an iPad, but I had to charge those. I had to charge about twenty-five iPads up every night, or thirty or forty on my bed mm. while I was going over stuff. But anyway, they would take that stuff. They and the government paid them seventy-five percent back on everything. The county, I, I'm telling you, I've been in a lot of weather. All it was doing, and they made two passes across the whole county, and they, they blocked it off in sectors, but they'd made two passes across the county. And all it was doing was beautifying that county to look like Disney World or Disneyland or something, And because it didn't need anything. I mean, I've been through ice storms uh, in North Mississippi that just broke every – I've had – Big oak trees fall on my house and stuff, you know, and nobody's ever around to get that out of your way. People would call me to come look at something and ask me, couldn't I get a bucket truck there? Couldn't I get a crew there? You know, all that was costing us a fortune as as taxpayers. And, uh, you know, that's billion dollars at the government. And it's not just that organization. They had a lot of other stuff like Small Business Administration came in, I remember. And they put another billion dollars into the thing. And then you had other government agencies. probably had six or seven other government agencies that brought billions of dollars each into the project and to clean it back up. Now, I'm sure I didn't go to uh, to, to Key West or down that way. I'm sure that was bad. But, you know, I went to Gainesville a couple of times. I went to Ocala a couple of times. I went to Tampa a couple of times. It was not it was not bad. It didn't. They excessively cleaned it up and paid more than they should have. I think that's personal. Now that's just that's just. Uh, well, we said fifty-three billion dollars damage from Hurricane Irma in 2017, and other than Katrina, which still is listed number one with 125 billion dollars in 2005, the other storms between Katrina and Irma were all within the last five or six years. Sandy is uh, number four with 65 billion. Maria, mm. I don't even remember Hurricane Maria. I don't either. But 2017, $90 billion of damage. 
And then Hurricane Harvey, 2017, at 125. Oh, my goodness. See, I mean, it, it's just what it's become. And it, it all falls back to the question I asked the senator. And he says it's evolved. Yeah, well, it's it's, so it's devolved. It's what yeah. is the word he should yeah. have said. Yeah, I know. Jerry, That's exactly. Jerry, we can't thank you enough. Thank you for braving Hurricane Irma. I braved Hurricane Irma. I was on the forefront of that when it got into the mountains of North Georgia last year. It was scary. It didn't do fifty oh, fifty billion dollars of damage, but it was a tropical storm at that point. In fact, it has it was the only tropical storm to ever be declared in the city of Atlanta. When that thing came through, they've never had a tropical storm come through Atlanta, Georgia, in 2017. And and I remember somebody got killed in Atlanta watching TV in the middle of the afternoon. This tree fell over them. If you've got 30 seconds, let me throw a tornado in. All right. A a tornado hit Water Valley in 1964. My grandmother's house was blown out in the street. She broke ribs. She was 70 dang four years old, I believe, or five. They was giving money away to different people then for Three percent loan. All she was asking for was a three percent loan. She tried to get a three percent loan, and they told her she wouldn't live long enough to pay it back. She lived to be ninety-four, hmm. but and she probably would have paid every penny back. But she could not get one red dime, and her house was blown away. And you know, uh, you know, they had grants going on it also at the same time. And uh, I think she did borrow a three percent loan, and they cut it to twenty-five hundred or something. And that was it. And we built a house back far as a family, you know. So uh, that's how that's how things work and how they changed over a period of time. That was '84, and seven people were killed when that tornado came through this small town. Yeah. And three of them were killed inside of her house. My so, goodness. So well, anyway. we know that storms will continue to be a problem, and and again, we don't want to downplay Hurricane Florence and Tropical Storm. No, Florence. I'm not downplaying anything, John. I've just I was just talking about how the government I understand. gets a little excessively, you know, with some of their spending and doing. Well, I just mentioned some of these problems. storms we can't even remember what all they actually did, and they're in the top five of all U.S. costly hurricanes, and they've all been within the last five or six years causing nearly as much damage as Katrina, and we know Katrina was a big freaking deal. Jerry oh, Short. gosh, yes. Jerry Short, thank you very much, and we look forward to getting you back on here next Monday where our topic will hopefully be a little bit more cheerful. Oh, I'm going to think of a joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Joke's I'll on us. It. All right, Bye. Jerry. And that will conclude our Y'all Show for today. I want to thank all of you for listening to this show all about the South. We'll be back here tomorrow with plenty of good stuff, some food, some fellowship, and a whole lot of Southerness on Y'all with John Ross. That is a pretty good breakfast. You're not even eating. Not ever. Why not? What's up? Kath and I knew that Jenny had been partying a bit. Found out she tried heroin. Most people don't know what to say about drugs, but we do. Visit us at drugfree.org. A message from the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, where families find answers. 
As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. 